Spirit. And now let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. July 3rd, Acts 21, verse 37, through chapter 22, verse 16. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, May I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? the commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took four thousand members of the assassins out into the desert? No, Paul replied. I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please, let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. At his feet I learned to follow our Jewish laws and customs very carefully. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just as all of you are today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, binding and delivering both men and women to prison. The high priest and the whole council of leaders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I was on the road, nearing Damascus, about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? I asked, and he replied, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't hear the voice. I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led into Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man in his devotion to the law, and he was well thought of by all the Jews of Damascus. He came to me and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I could see again. And then he told me, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know His will and to see the righteous one and hear Him speak. You are to take His message everywhere, telling the whole world what you have seen and heard. And now why delay? Get up and be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul writes, For I have made a decision, or I have determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul is essentially saying here, I've made a decision. I am not going to spend my life contemplating, considering all of the knowledge, education, and information I have gathered 
over my many years. In fact, those things mean very little to me next to nothing in comparison to Jesus Christ and the cross. What Paul is saying is, I have made a decision today. I'm going to spend the rest of my life considering, immersing myself, and obsessing over what Jesus did for me on the cross. You've got to decide what you're going to live for and what you're going to die for. Like when I die, I don't want to be known for my political persuasion. I don't want people to be like, well, he voted this and he was for... When I die, I don't want to be known for some invention. When I die, I don't want to be known for an organization that I built. When I die, I don't want to be known for some song I sang. When I die, I want to be known as a man who loved Jesus and preached the cross. I want to die on the hill of Calvary. Which is to say, I want my life to be lived for and from the cross. We want our life to be about what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross when he took our sins and took our punishment. I want my life to end there. Like when they write something on my tombstone, I want it to have something to do with Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. The Bible does not tell us if there were any other disciples at the cross. Some scholars believe they just were not mentioned, but they were actually present. But the only, the only disciple out of 12 we ever have record of being at the foot of Jesus' cross was John. I wonder if they are indicators I wonder if there are things we can see in John's life that might be able to teach us or to enlighten us on how to live our life for and from the foot of the cross. Like, for instance, where was Peter? Well, we know Peter wasn't at the foot of the cross. Peter had betrayed Jesus, hadn't he? Vehemently three specific times. I mean, most believers would say, I want my life to be about the gospel. I want my life to be about Jesus. I want my life to be about what Jesus accomplished for humanity at the cross. And couldn't we all agree that's what we're after and that's what we want? Come on, when there's a challenge in your business or a challenge in your marriage or your kids are acting crazy, you... Your knee-jerk reaction is probably not to use Jesus as a pillow. We live by stone. We live by trying to flesh it out and work it out and make it happen and perform well and do good. And that's just like a life that trusts itself to fulfill God's commandments. Count the cost if you're going to live by the cross. Count the cost if you're going to live the gospel. Because it will not satisfy the flesh. And people who don't understand it will far more criticize the reclining disciple over the moving disciple. What are you doing? You're going to save your marriage. You better get up, do something. You're going, to save, you're going to save your business. Well, you better do more than pray. 
they all vowed their allegiance to Jesus. Peter more so than anybody else. Remember what Peter did, because this is how the law works. The law works on comparison, and the law seeks to justify those who live by the law and are led by the law seek to justify themselves by others who are not as good as they are. And Peter said, what did Peter say? Peter said, if everybody else falters in this room, I won't. See, that is sensational, and that'll get you some likes and some retweets. Big flamboyant vows, that's the way of the law. People who are led by the law are more obsessed with their own words and their own vows as opposed to Jesus' words and his vows, such as, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What enabled John, even in his weakness and his failures and his fears, to come back to the foot of the cross was because John's mind was more consumed with Jesus' love for him than his love for Jesus. So it enabled him to be there at the end of Jesus' earthly life. Where are the others? Where's Peter? I'll tell you where Peter is. Peter is a casualty of condemnation. Because if you live by the law, you die by the law. If you live consumed with your love for God and your performance and your deeds and your duties and your devotions, eventually you'll find yourself in a pity party apart from the cross. Condemnation will get the best of all of us until we lay our head on the heart of God and we recognize that His love is immeasurable, unconditional, and cannot be defeated and never fails. This is why Paul says, I've made a decision, you know. I've made a decision. Paul's credentials would stand up with the best of the best in society. He is a genius. A true definition of a genius. I'm talking about knowledge, information, education, and data. Paul can hang with the heavy hitters. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I've, I've made a decision, you know. I've made a decision. I'm going to spend the rest of my life on this planet not just gathering facts, information, and details, and education but I am going to obsess. I am going to consume myself. I am going to focus and set my head and my mind and my mentality on what Jesus did for me on the cross. Paul is essentially saying, I'm going to focus on Jesus' love demonstrated towards me on the cross. That's what I'm going to do. Wonder, with all the movement and all the motion, and all the energy, is it sustainable? Because unless their head is firmly planted on the heart of Jesus, it won't last. It won't last. And I fear that at the end of their days, they will not be at the foot of the cross. They'll be somewhere in the backwoods with Peter in a pity party wondering what happened and why didn't my vows of devotion and discipline work for me? The only way you're going to make it the long haul is to do what right now seems so unorthodox 
Psalms 46, the psalmist says, be still, be still and know that I am God, which is to say, stop, wait, sit, rest, rely, recline, trust, listen, whisper. You're not God. Take off the crown. Reject the Messiah complex. You can't fix yourself, let alone fix your marriage. Lay on him. Lean on him. Recline on him. Trust in him. He'll never reject your recline. They're going to write blogs. They're going to write emails. You're going to be criticized, friends. You got to count the cost when it comes to living the gospel. And many people think well, when we say that, what I mean is because you're going to have to do so much. Actually, I believe counting the cost and living the gospel has more to do with the fact that you won't do as much. And that's what people won't like. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with scoffers. But they delight in doing everything the Lord wants. Day and night they think about His law. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither, and in all they do they prosper. But this is not true of the wicked. They are like worthless chaff, scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Proverbs 18, verses 11 and 12. The rich think of their wealth as an impregnable defense. They imagine it is a high wall of safety. Haughtiness goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor.